Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull. Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. As a governor, mayor, businessman, I know the game. Been played by the game. Now we are exposing the game for you. This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. Mark Sanford served as a U.S. representative for South Carolina's 1st Congressional District from 1995 to 2001. He was then elected governor of South Carolina from 2003 until 2011, and he again ran for the U.S. House and served from 2013 to 2019. He is currently a teaching fellow at the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. He's a man who's been in controversy. He's a man who's won. He's lost. He was once considered a future president of the United States, and now he's talking about running for president in the Republican primary against Donald Trump. Mark Sanford, welcome to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. We're glad to have you on, Mark. Great to be with you. Thank you. One question, one question only, three-part question. Give me a personal example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous or funny in politics that you have personally encountered that maybe other people don't realize. And why don't we first start out with the good in politics, a personal example of something good that you personally were involved with in politics. Well, um, uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> my mind's spinning. You know, what, what I'd say is this, and speaking of good, everybody becomes so cynical about the political process and the people in politics that um, a lot of my friends have given up, and they've said, whatever's going on over there, I, you know, I, it sounds like a bunch of five-year-olds arguing, and I'm moving on. i got more productive things to do with my life. But the reality, as you and I both know, is it takes all of us grabbing the oar and pulling on it to affect change in politics. And the Founding Fathers set up a system that rests on the active participation of every one of us. And if not, our system doesn't work so well. So I I remember years ago, this is back the first time I was in the U.S. Congress, uh, myself and a handful of other renegades had... um, (laughs) voted against what's called the rule, and the rule is the mechanism by which the majority holds the House floor in the House of Representatives, because uh, basically the, 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 the uh, you know, leadership had uh, made a promise in terms of some cuts that we were going to make. This is back in the contract with America. This is Newt Gingrich and, was Speaker of the yeah, House. And, yeah, in right. 1994, and, and that was good. We were excited about it. It was on cutting committee staff. And yet what they were proposed to do was, and, and the promise was, would cut committee staff by a third. And, and you and I have both seen the amount of excess that at times mm-hmm. exists at staff levels of all areas of government. It's a good thing. And it was a promise, more importantly. Anyway, what they were going to quietly do with a, 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 an appropriations bill is, is basically sneak back in half the money from the third that they'd cut. Mm. And a number of us dug our heels in the sand, said, no way. I mean, we made a promise. We said we're going to do it. We did it. That's good. And what you can't do is the Washington thing of getting the headlines for the cut 
and then sneaking back in the money. If you if if you want to say, look, we're new at this. Republicans haven't held the House for 40 years, and we kind of overshot, and we think we need to add. That's one thing, but but not doing the Washington thing of taking the headline and then sneaking the money back in. So we dug our heels in. Long story short, the the the, the ultimate last stop measure that we had in terms of trying to stop this thing was voting against the rule. And uh, needless to say, Speaker Gingrich was not real happy with us. And uh, so we're all taken down to 8C5. It's down in the bowels of the Capitol. And it's where the the, the conference, uh, all Republican elected House members meet uh, for different meetings. And we're there. And uh, Newt Gingrich is basically saying nobody's going home for Easter. This is around Easter time. Mm -hmm. Until these 13 folks change their votes and we move forward with this legislation. And it was you were the thirteen. You were called the renegades. Yeah, well, whatever we were, but yeah. but but anyway, we're causing a little bit of trouble. And so you were what anyway. Newt used to be, in order to become <laughs> yeah, speaker. exactly. But once right. he became speaker, he was a part of the game. That's just how. It yeah, works. yeah, yeah, yeah. But so anyway, uh, without missing a beat, one of the folks was Steve Largent who played professional football with the Seahawks. Right. He was actually a, a Hall of Famer Hall and all of that sort of thing. Hall of Famer split in, right. Yeah, um, uh, just a fabulous human being. And he walks straight up to the podium, and he looks across at the, the speaker who's maybe three feet from him, and he simply says, I'm not intimidated. And at this point, you could hear a pin drop in the room. I mean, everybody is listening, because nobody speaks to the speaker that way. He says, I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated because I used to play uh, football, and there'd be you know 300-pound linemen on the other side of the line that not only wanted to kill me, they could have killed me if they'd gotten a hold of me. And respectfully, Mr. Speaker, that's not the case with, with, with you. And then he went on to give the most spectacular talk that I ever heard in the entire time I was in Congress about, you know, at the end of the day, the significance of your word being your bond, the significance of staying true to promises you make, the significance of not the red team versus the blue team, but the American team and how we were all a part of it. And it was an inspiring talk. And then, you know, the... Was, was Gingrich sort of, standing or sitting at the time? He was sitting, sitting, and, and, and Steve Largent was standing there. And he and, just and, took again, the floor just took the floor and went with it and and it was as if you were there in 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 Philadelphia at the start of our country with one of the you know founding fathers laying it out and and it was just that lucid clear and simple and i i wish that everybody out there who becomes a cynic on government could have been there that night to hear steve cuz the rest of us went up and and you know, gave our little talks, but n- but none of us compared with what Steve so said that night. So when when Steve finished and, his talk, what was the response? Was there because what had happened before is the, the the speaker had sort of set it up that peer pressure would get us to cave. And he said, right. you know, the thirteen of you guys are going to come up and explain your votes, and uh, and then you know we're not going home to you know for Easter. Mm-hmm. We're going to call it the break, whatever. Anyway, long story short. Steve completely changed the mood of the room, and what had intended to be a peer pressure move, get them to change their vote, reversed, and 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 basically uh, the room sided with the 13 who uh, had sort of stood out there, which was not exactly the plan. Uh, but but again, the bigger point is 
there's some folks out there who occasionally, and again, a lot of people don't, a lot of people are just out there for headlines, but this is one of those things you'd never see, but it was the right thing done at the right time that had a material impact. When he and finished it, his think, speech, what was, the, yeah. was there silence? Did Gingrich immediately change what happened i'm just what well, they actually the, the next thing the, the, room, next, yeah. the next thing that happened well, the, the next person that walked up was actually lindsey graham huh. uh, who uh uh you know has a gift for at times the funny whether you like his politics or don't like his politics and 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 so he walks up and he says well mr speaker because Steve had said, began his talk with i i'm not intimidated and just right. said it in sort of football terms he's leaving right. the locker room Lindsey walks up. He says, well, "Mr. Speaker, I, I'm not like Steve. I I, I can be intimidated." <laughs> with, with, with brought down the room, and, and the place cracked up. It just cracked up. And and uh, Lindsey Graham is the la- would be the last person to be a football player. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I still remember that night. I always will. It was it was magical. And it showed um, the dynamics are unpredictable in a room, and in this case, it worked. Yeah, and just how human the body politic is. You know, at times it's the mass herd and it's running the wrong direction. It's wallowing, you know, your wallet and my wallet and a whole lot of pocketbooks out there. But but occasionally the right thing is done and people hold ground and, you know, fight for, in this case, just a very simple concept, which is we said we're going to do it. Let's either do it. Or not do it, but if we're not going to do it, let's go back to the American public and say we're not going to do it. We, you know, we're new at this, and people accept change, but what they won't accept, and what was so wrong about what the, you know, the speaker in this instance had proposed was it was sort of the double step of Washington, which I think wearies all of us. What what makes what made a certain group of people want to sneak it back in? Had they already drank the Kool Aid? Um, or was it a personal yeah, I mean, relationship? The way, as we all know it's what makes us all cynical about Washington, yeah. uh, which is too often that's exactly what's done. Somebody gets giant accolades or praise or headlines, and then, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I guess it was Jefferson that said the normal course of things was for government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. And uh, unfortunately, that's all too true, and you see it happen with the deficits, frankly, that are exploding right now. Everybody talks a good game about limiting spending, uh, but it you know, marches forward. And even when they talk about limiting spending, oftentimes what they're talking about is bending the curve on spending. It's not a real cut. You and I, if we, <laughs> we're trying to balance the family budget and we say, okay, we, we actually have to cut $100, that's like a real $100. It's not from a, quote, baseline where, well, we would have spent 300 but now we're only going to spend 200 more, so that's a $100 cut. <laughs> that's not a cut in the real world. Hey, real quick, going back to Steve Largent. And yeah. it was someone I respected and, and watched not just as a fan, but also as someone interested in public policy. Do you think he also had the courage to do that because he had already seen fame and what it could do to you and the egos and had success and probably financially didn't need the job either? I think, yeah, all all, 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 all three of those. I mean, um, and, I mean, he, he – yeah, he, 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 the job was not, you know, for some folks, it's the greatest job they'll ever have, and they'll cling to it like you can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the saying in Washington, as the saying is in many state capitals, and I'm sure you dealt with legislators that fit the same bill. This is the best job they ever had. Right, yeah. which is the name of the game is staying in the game. Well, 
guess what? For me and you as taxpayers, well, that, that ain't that ain't such a magical formula. If it's all about you and you stay in the game, what about me and my pocketbook or wallet? Their life was is their title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the vanity plates and this and that, oh. and, and so the it, trappings it, are uh, incredible. I mean, you and right, I had it right. both as governor. The trappings are incredible. <laughs> yeah. Give me an example of the bad in politics that you personally can. You t- you gave me that was a great story about Steve Largent and the meeting, the dynamics, and Lindsey Graham. What about the bad? Maybe some someone doesn't know that you've just had an encounter as governor or as representative in Washington that just still crawls in your gut. Uh, you know, I, I'd say uh, probably the way in which everybody wants not to have a storm on their watch. And so I remember uh, when I was governor, we have a thing called the Budget Control Board, and it's sort of the central nervous system of the way that budgetary decisions get made in in in, in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so we had, and still have, uh, a, a pension shortfall, you know, more promise than have the ability to pay for and mm-hmm. we were confronting this saying well look you know pensions for a long time people retire they want to know that that money's going to keep coming they, they don't want it for you know half of their retirement they want it for the whole thing and we got to address this and long it's an un- short, unfunded back, liability which no one understands right right but they will you know if all of a sudden you, you get a 25 percent cut in your social security check or you get a 25 percent cut because you're a teacher and uh you, you thought you're going to get in a, a bit of money, and also they said, "Well, we don't have that, but we can give you three quarters of what we promised you." That 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 doesn't work out so well, and that's the big storm that's coming is is for our nation, given the numbers both with Social Security and a whole list of different states that have underfunded pension systems. Every state, state, every like state, Illinois and California, exactly. Every right. state has exactly an unfunded right. liability. Absolutely, and they're so, so anyway. We we tried to confront this and. The uh, 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 fellow by Hugh Leatherman, who was head of Senate Finance, he pushed hard against it because they're like, no, it's all fine. What we're going to do is we're going to raise the assumed rate of return. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're like, I, I, you know, I, I wish I could earn more on my little bit of meager savings. But, but you know, wishing it, uh, you know, Gordon Sullivan was the former chief of staff of the United States Army. He wrote a book called Hope is Not a Method. But what oftentimes happens in politics with a lot of these projections, a lot of these uh, graphs, the layout is it's, they're, they're awfully hopeful. Well, in business, what you want to do is protect your downside, and the upside will take care of itself. It's in politics, too often it's the reverse. We're just going to hope that this pans out. If it doesn't, then we'll worry about leveling more taxes. Yeah, he's going to make up a number, manipulate a number? And yeah, just manipulate. So, yeah, yeah. so the, the long-term average for like the last 50 years was whatever number, and I can't remember right. what it was. Right, certain amount but he of says, return. Well, We'll just earn a point more. I'm like, well, where do you get that from? <laughs> well, that, no, I mean, I, we we can do it. I know we can. I I, I hope so too. But but <laughs> why don't we just go with history here on what we have earned? Why not add short. two points or three points? <laughs> why not add hell? two points? Exactly right. right. And so long story short, uh, that's what they did. And and so now we have a more than ten billion dollar unfunded liability on the retirement side of the equation in South Carolina and I don't know what it is in North Carolina. It's, it's twenty billion in North Carolina and the health care liability for retired it's, employees is thirty billion. Okay, right. So that's so, fifty yeah, billion kind of total deal. that no one talks about. Well you use the term 
uh, the storm that no one wants to deal with? Right. People just manana, manana, you know, it, it, as long as it's under somebody else's watch and I don't have to deal with it, it's, it's okay. And so a lot of stuff gets swept under the rug, which is, goes to precisely why people are as skeptical as they are about people in government and many of the functions of government. I found that would be my biggest challenge as governor and as mayor is that we're sweeping long-term issues under the rug because we don't want the storm, because the storm might kick us out of office, frankly. And a constituency yeah. like unfunded liabilities for pensions, you know, you're stepping on the toes of very popular groups from police to fire to you name it. Um, you step on everyone's toes and no one will defend you. <laughs> right. No, no. no. You have to your pensions. You're going, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm doing this on your behalf so that your system stays up. No, no, no. We don't. We don't want to. And, and so it's sort yeah, of some of those state legislators don't want to mess with it either because they have their own pensions. Right. Right. They have a conflict of interest. Big time. So, I, you know, it just goes back to the ways in which money matters in politics. And, and you know, not like every other human being, legislators want to have a reasonably good day. And if they can sweep something under the rug, too often they will. You see this being done at major levels at the federal level. I mean, at frightening levels. Uh, you know, Lawrence Kotlikoff, who's a professor up at the University of Boston, he says that the the total unfunded liability of the federal government is about $120 trillion, and that a child born into America today to, to actually make the numbers work would be facing an 82% tax rate, 82%. And obviously that's not going to happen. What it means, though, is, okay, then we'll get to a financial storm that will correct these things for us, and it'll be brutal for every one of us. And so... You know, uh, one last point here, which is uh, two professors, a professor from Harvard and a professor from Maryland, uh, wrote a book called This Time It's Different. And they, they studied the last 800 years of financial history as it relates to governments. And what they found was that in near every instance, uh, civilizations got to sort of a tipping point on how they sustain themselves financially. And, and nine times out of ten, what leaders said at that time was, well, you know, it's going to be okay. This time it's different. And, of course, it never was. Uh, you know, they had to decide, do we go back to what made us competitive and perhaps a world power in the first place, or do we stay on this happy but ultimately unsustainable cycle of upward government spending, upward government consumption? And nine times out of ten, they said, well, you know, this time it's different. This time it's different. And it never was. And they studied this book, 800 years of financial history as it relates to government. So this is not a new piece of music. It's been around for a long time. But it's hurt a lot of people in the process. Well, you can, we all ought to watch as out for. Uh, a former executive of a company told me when I was first mayor and I was considering mass transit or something, he said, you can wait until the pain arrives and do it then, and it'll be an easy sale. But it probably won't work because you probably waited too long. Or you can do right. it now when people don't feel the pain, but it's going to be one hell of a sale. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the problem. In fact, Mark, is that one reason – you're considering running for president is it's you're really I, you've got a consistency and always being concerned about the deficit and from a financial standpoint because you have very strong financial acumen is that what really drives you yeah i'm not delusional i, I know i'm not going to become president uh if i did the, that um but 
it's funny. A, 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 a dear friend came to me more than a year ago, the night after my primary loss, um, and said, God just cleared your calendar for a reason. I know what it is. And I'm like, well, so glad you got the direct connect. Fill me in. <laughs> and he says, no, what you need to do is primary the president. I'm like, are you completely out of your mind? That's preposterous. And his point was, no, it's about a, 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 a microphone that you could use to talk about debt and deficit and government spending that you've been talking about for near 25 years of your life. And what's another couple months at this point? It obviously won't go anywhere. You're not going to win the presidency. But you might be able to impact the debate because on the Democratic side, they're talking about more versus more versus more. And, and on the Republican side, we're not talking about it. And and if, if, if we don't end up with a concurrent debate on, okay, more versus more is great, but how do you pay for it? then you're going to end up with more versus more, and you and I will be paying for it, and our kids will be paying for it. And so I do think it's an important debate. Whether or not I can have an impact is what I'm still trying to determine on go versus no go. The outrageous are funny. You, I mean, you've dealt with the media. You've dealt with other politicians. You've dealt with angry constituents, as I have. What's something outrageous that or funny that, people need to know about if they're considering getting into politics that maybe people don't know about? You know, I just say, you know, I, I, I don't know that's all that funny, uh, but it does raise the point of if you're thinking about getting in politics or, or or being involved in the political process, you got to look for ways of making things real to people because people are busy with their lives trying to get the kids to and from soccer practice and themselves to and from work and put a meal on the table and all the things that go with building a life and a family. And 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 so I remember um, uh, going back to budget and things, uh, you know, when I um, came into office, long story short, uh, swept under the rug, sweeping, speaking of sweeping under the rug, um, my predecessor and and the powers that be had basically swept under the rug a hundred and twenty billion dollar uh, deficit, and um, well, you know we can't have deficits in 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 South Carolina, and uh, uh, and and so excuse me, I'm, I'm used to federal numbers. I've been talking federal. It was it was one hundred twenty million and not billion. <laughs> I get federal terms. One hundred twenty million dollars. Anyway, long story short. Um, we we went uh, I went up to New York and met with credit agencies. I said, look, if we came up with a payment plan, would you you know accept that as a way of not degrading our our rating? And uh, we came up with a payment plan. We call it the Financial Fiscal Discipline Act, something like that. And uh, met with all the leaders. Came up with a plan. Okay, basically fifty million dollars a year over the next three years, regardless of what happens to the economy, we're going to pay this thing down. And because, again, we have a balanced budget requirement in South Carolina, and you, hypothetically, theoretically, you couldn't have what we had, but we had to deal with it since it had been discovered. And so, long story short, the numbers start to blip up in the spring of that year, such that we had the capacity to completely pay it off. And uh, so we went back to legislative folks and said, look, we, we have the capacity, and we need to do this, because if not, we're going to set precedent on the sanctity of our balanced budget requirement. We really need to do this. I won't bore you with all the details, but we did about nine months' worth of meetings, back, forth, back, forth. Uh, again, credit agencies, legislative leaders, all kinds of very detailed meetings. 
And at the end of the day, uh, uh, I'd gone to them and said, look, I get the way everybody needs to save face in politics. You can make us the bad guy. We'll give you a longer list of vetoes. And then you can pick a la carte to get you to the number we need to get to. And and that way you will protect your legislators. Everybody will be fine. And I, I don't mind taking the heat on this one. And uh, that the day of the vetoes, um, uh, the then speaker says, tell you what, we're just going to override you and block. We're not going to do this. And I've I'm like, that what? What? What's your, that? Your own team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to do this. And so you're like, well, wait a minute. That, again, this sets precedent on the sanctity of our balanced budget requirement. I put my left hand on the Bible. I raised my right hand. I swore to uphold the Constitution. This is a constitutional mandate. Sorry, we're just not going to do it, whatever. i got to do what i got to do. I say, well, you got to do what you got to do, then i got to do what i got to do. I'm going to look for some more visible way of, of, of making real to folks how important this is. Because you're putting pork, or politi- pork and politics over, you know, constitutional requirement, and so we go downstairs and we brainstorm and how how do we make this real to folks? And uh, so, long story short, we come up with this idea: what if we go out to Hog Farm in Lexington County, grab a couple pigs, uh, and and I'll go up and do a press conference talking about how they're putting pork ahead of constitutional. Well, I remember requirement. you doing this. <laughs> so I remember next you doing thing you know. This. There's a highway patrol car headed for Lexington County and uh, grabs a couple pigs from some farm out there. Uh, uh, next thing you know, we got these two pigs. I walk upstairs to the state house with a squealing pig under each arm, uh, uh, and uh, all hell basically began to break loose. Uh, and needless to say, it was not well received by the legislative body, but the people got it. You put it to and, their face. With the right. Sim- the people the totally got it. Yeah. And people were like, I get it. And so next thing you know, you know, all kinds of, you can't do that. That was crazy. You, you know, didn't show proper decorum, whatnot, whatnot. And and yet very quietly, and, and they went ahead and overrode the vetoes, uh, but very, very quiet. I guess I'd done it right after the vetoes. Very quietly, the Senate put the money back in without, you know, any fuss, any, and, and so, you could try nine months. You could try oh, a bunch of bunch of meetings. You could try scholarly approach. We'd done all these vetoes. My staff had put taken all nighters, putting time yeah. into it. But it all went out the window. It, it didn't matter. But until symbolism. you took it in a visible way yeah. to people, it wasn't real. And yeah. I just say that people got to look for ways of making politics and what's going on there real to folks. Hey, as we end this podcast, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Both you and I have had to deal with defeats. And one lesson I remind all people who go into politics is once you lose the title, uh, your phone stops. Mm -hmm. You had that happen to you. A couple times. Yeah, a couple of times. (laughs) I've left office a couple of times. Not by defeat, but but, but just leaving. I've been through controversy. You've been through controversy. And it's, it's brutal. And you need to warn people about it. If you're in it for the ego and the title, it ends for everybody, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. But but again, it, it goes back to conviction. People can read it. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you have a bee in your bonnet on something that matters to you, you ought to go and find a way to make your voice heard. Because, as you well know, we need more good people in the political process desperately. The system and our form of government going forward need good people. Governor Mark Sanford, you've been a longtime friend. 
You've been a neighbor and uh, a great public servant, and I appreciate it. And well, it's been great an honor to have boys, you on Inside the Game soon. of Politics with Pat McCrory, and uh, stay in touch, and best of luck with your future decisions. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. To contact the show, email Show at WPT.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WPT or at WPT on Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.